Well, this uh, morning, no, not this morning, earlier this week, I actually changed my message uh, because I realised it was possible that there were some from last week, from our family service, uh, from our brigade family service, it was a guest service, some might be here as visitors, and also I knew there'd be lots of visitors as well from the, for the dedication and others um, too. So I, I decided to ch- change my message, and so the message I was going to preach today, I'm going to be preaching next Sunday, which will be on sort of Bible reading, one-to-one and discipleship. So I'm going to be sharing that next Sunday, and then the following Sunday, Jez will resume our series in, in Joshua, in uh, Joshua 6, the fall of Jericho. Just before getting on to this morning's message, let's, let me mention next Sunday's message, and, and just about the one-to-one that I'm uh, introducing, I've talked to quite a few now already, but uh, I'd like uh, August to be a month of encouragement. Our, th- our theme, our verse for this year, or verses if for this year, speaks of encouraging one another. Let's encourage one another and I'd love month, the August month to be a month of encouragement. And what better way to encourage each other than to read the Bible with each other. So I want to throw out, if you like, a Bible reading challenge. And that is to meet up with one other person on two occasions in August. To read the Bible together. And uh, who you decide... That's up to you, who to meet up with. And like I, I'm suggesting it's man-to-man or woman-to-woman. Just uh, we'll do it that way, because it'd be good to get to know each other in a different way, perhaps, and uh, perhaps across the fellowship, maybe young and old, or doesn't matter who, who it is, you decide. And where you meet up to read, that's fine. But I'm, I'm suggesting we read two passages. So I've put them in the bulletin. Uh, they're there on the uh, inside page, where it says one-to-one Bible reading month. Two passages in Matthew's Gospel. And uh, so we're all reading the same passage together. So, so meet up twice in August. And uh, meet up with another person. Read those passages together. Next week I'll show, or I'll give some helps and tips how to read or what to, how to draw from that passage and what to discuss when you meet up together. So are you up for the challenge? Whoa, that's two people. Praise the Lord. That's great. I hope, I hope more than that, I hope you're all up for the challenge. It'd be great if as many as possible did this through that month of August. If you are, can you put your name down on the list at the back uh, in the lounge? Some have already filled in the name and uh, we're, we're sort of on the go on this. So please, please do that. If you'd like, you're not sure who to meet up with, and you're happy, or you prefer me to sort of pair you up with somebody, there's a box just to tick uh, on the sheet there in the back, and I'm happy to do that. Some have already done that um, on that sheet. So let's make that. Let's make August a month of encouragement. I'll, I'll share more about that next Sunday. But this morning, actually, I want to follow on a little bit from what Lucas, our speaker last Sunday, mentioned in the service. And uh, he referred to the fact of the importance of Jesus in history. Even our dating, he mentioned, our, our uh, the calendar uh, system of dating in, in the West, of course, is, is based on AD, BC or AD, BC before Christ, AD, 
It's not after death, as some people think, after Christ's death, but anno domini, in the day of our Lord. So if you're born after Christ, you're born, well, we're born, we're in 2000, what's the year? 2018 AD, anno domini, after Jesus was born. So at the very least, Jesus was a very, very influential, important person. He split history, literally. So I want to ask a question, simple question, important question, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Perhaps even more important, what do you think about Jesus Christ? Who do you think he is? And as part of the message, towards the end of the message, we're going to watch a video of two short testimonies of people whose lives have been impacted by Jesus. So it won't be me talking all the time. So who is Jesus? Actually, that's a question that Jesus asked of his disciples on one occasion. And I'm going to read the passage. It's Matthew 16. It'll be up on the screen. It's Matthew 16. I'm just going to read a few verses. Verses 13 to 17. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But if you notice there, the first question Jesus asked the disciples was, Who do men say that I am? In other words, what do people outside of this group, as it were, what do people outside of the group of my disciples, what are people saying about me? Who am I? Now that's a funny question to ask, isn't it? If I came up to you after the service and, and I said, who am I? You, you'd be thinking, Pastor Phil's lost it. <laughs> he doesn't know who he is. You know, it's downhill from now on. It's a strange question to ask. Who do people say I am? But, but he's actually not asking for his name. You know, he's not asking, do they know my name? He's really saying, do people know my true identity? Do they know who I really am? And his disciples said, well, actually, yeah, but what people are saying is, some are saying that you are John the Baptist. Some of, you are say, some of them are saying you're Elijah. Some of, you, some of them are saying, you're Jeremiah, you're, you're one of the prophets. Now, all of those people were dead. And the people in that day, they sort of had a feeling that somehow God was going to come back, not, not necessarily reincarnate those people, but in the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of Jeremiah, and was going to preach. And so there was a feeling, is, is this God's spirit moving in, in Jesus, bringing his message? So they all recognized he was special, was Jesus, and unique, that he was a man sent from God. 
but none of them agreed on who he was. So there was this sort of swirl of opinion about who Jesus was. And then Jesus said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? That's the question I want to ask this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's a very important question, actually, because the significance of that answer to that question is profound. Because it actually affects our life and actually our eternity. But more of that later on. Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, I was thinking about this. To investigate who a person is, you really need to know what they said. Find out what they really said. I'd, I'd suggest that most people in this country, probably in the West, know something about Jesus' teachings. Do you agree with that? Not sure. Mo I would say most people know something about the life of Jesus and Jesus' teachings, even if they don't realize it's Jesus there who said those things. For example, a lot of people actually do know about the, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, for there's the kingdom of God. And, and, and the whole blessed teaching there that Jesus spoke about. Blessed are the, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, there are people who are trying to live by that. Not necessarily Christians, but they, they live by that moral code. I think others as well. I think, and, and I'm sure some of you will be familiar with what's called the Lord's Prayer. Not everybody, but some. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so on. Many, I think, are familiar with that. You know, I heard of a little girl who once asked her mum why God's name was Harold. And her mum said, I don't understand what you mean, dear. And the little girl said, well, when we pray in Sunday school, we say, our Father which art in heaven, Harold be thy name. Right? Well, not everyone gets the prayer right, but it's fairly well known. But then there are other parts of Jesus' teaching that are familiar with people, but they don't realise it comes from Jesus. I think most would know what you're talking about when you talk about a prodigal son. Well, that, that, that's originated with Jesus, the, the parable of the prodigal son. I think most people would know if you talk about a good Samaritan. You know, somebody's a good Samaritan, that saying is very familiar. That originated with Jesus. In other words, somebody who's a good Samaritan goes about doing good, to helping other people. But there are a lot of things that people know, but wouldn't know it comes from Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself, one of the well-known sayings. What about go the extra mile? That, that came from Jesus. Jesus introduced that thought, going the extra mile. I'm going to change over to this. We're getting a lot of interference. Shall we? It's on. Are you hearing me? Okay. So go the extra mile. What about if you've got a cross to bear? Do you know what that means? Somebody's got a cross to bear? Again, that's the thought that came from Jesus' teaching. Somebody who's really laid down or got really difficult things to carry. 
Most people know what a doubting Thomas is. It's in our, it's in our vocabulary, isn't it? Because that refers to one of Jesus' disciples. Most people know, have heard the phrase, oh, they're, they're the salt of the earth. They're the salt. Re- really, you know, that, that person is, is, is just so, 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 has so much about them. They've got, they're just such a good person. They do things. That comes from Jesus. If I say something and nobody takes any notice, you might say, well, that fell on stony ground. <laughs> that came from Jesus, the parable of the sower. People might say of me, well, he didn't, his left hand didn't know what his right hand's doing. Okay? That came from Jesus. That's Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. You heard the saying, keep on the straight and narrow. That's from Jesus. All of these things, they're part of our vocabulary, part of our everyday conversation sometimes, they come from Jesus. I suppose most would know what a wolf in sheep's clothing is. Again, that's Jesus' teaching. What about turn the other cheek? Jesus' teaching. Even, you know, we talk about sweating blood blood and tears here. That is from Jesus' life. Sweating blood and tears, that's what he did. And it's in the gospel. There's so much in the gospels, actually, which has come part and parcel of our vocabulary, of our thinking, of our, even of our everyday conversations. But people don't know it. But I think to get to know the real person, you need to know what they said about themselves. Not just sort of their everyday teaching like Jesus' teaching was how to live a good life what pleases God but then his teaching also was about himself that's how we get to know really who Jesus was and this is where it becomes very controversial because Jesus said some of the most controversial things you could ever say about yourself this is where opinions divide. One of the remarkable things that Jesus said was this. I am the way. The way to God. I am the truth. I'm the truth about God. All that you need to know about God is in me. I am the life. I'm the life of God. I'm, if you want life, come to me. If you want the life of God, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now that's an outrageous thing to say. I wouldn't dream of saying anything like that, but Jesus said it. Jesus also claimed to be the light of the world. So all moral light, the whole spiritual light, he's saying, look, come to me and I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll walk in that light. You won't, you won't live in a moral maze. You won't live in a moral mess. You, you, you will actually live in the light another strange thing Jesus said I am the bread of life I'm the bread of life he said he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst you know it is a generally recognized human trait that all human beings hunger for things. Not food, but hunger for something beyond themselves. 
Even psychologists, psychiatrists, down the years have recognized that there is a deep hunger. Sigmund Freud said this, people are hungry for love. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, said that people are hungry for security. Alfred Adler said that people are hungry for significance. And friends, it's it's to all of those things that Jesus pointed to himself and said, if you come to me, you'll never hunger. I'll satisfy your deepest hunger. I'll satisfy your deepest need. And that's an amazing claim to make. You look around, I don't know, we're in a mixed congregation, all sorts of people, and we'll all have things that we have to carry, anxieties, worries. People have guilt that they carry, fears. This is what Jesus said. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. From all those things, you know, all those things that weigh you down, all those things that come into our lives at times, Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest from those things. So that's outrageous. Jesus actually didn't say, I've got the answer. He said, I am the answer. Believe in me, trust in me. And then one other thing that I want to mention that Jesus said of himself. I think we all... Well, we all have to face death, don't we? We all have to face dying. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What Jesus was saying was this, if you believe in me, you will have the gift of eternal life. And you'll die physically, but spiritually you will live forever. Most people are anxious about death, deep down. Someone outside a bus stop had written, uh, on a a wall outside the bus stop, somebody had written this, where will you spend eternity? It was a bit of graffiti. And someone had added the underline underneath, still waiting for the number 42 bus. But where, where will we spend eternity? Where are you going to spend eternity? Jesus addressed that question. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he shall live. You know, there's a story, I read a story of um, Albert Einstein. He was traveling one day on a train. And the ticket collector came round and found him looking on the floor for his ticket. And the inspector recognized the great man and said to him, Dr. Einstein, it's all right. We know who you are. You don't need to find your ticket. And he carried on. The ticket inspector carried on along the train. But on his way back, he found Dr. Einstein or Einstein that rummaging, still looking for the ticket on the floor. And the ticket master said, the ticket collector said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. We know who you are. You don't need to find your ticket. And Dr. Einstein stood up and said, Young man, I also know know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. And that's what Jesus came to bring. Certainty to know where you're going. Where are you going? Where are you going to spend eternity? When you die, where will you spend eternity? Jesus came to bring certainty 
of eternal life. Not only eternal life when we die, but eternal life now. He he gives purpose in life. He brings all that we need. He brings a sense of direction, living for God. The most remarkable thing about Jesus wasn't his teaching, you know. It It wasn't even his miracles, all of which were amazing. And you can read about them in the Gospels. The most remarkable thing about Jesus was his death and resurrection. You say, well, how can, how can somebody's death be remarkable? Well, it, was it in the way he died? No, no, it wasn't because many people were crucified in Jesus' day. That was common, a common execution. The remarkable thing about Jesus' death was why he died. The Bible says he died for our sin. He died for my sake. He was pure. He, was, he perfectly kept the law of God in every area. He never sinned like we do. And so he could die in somebody else's place. And the Bible says very clearly that God laid on his own son while he was on that cross the sin of us all. Your sin and my sin. He took our punishment. But then on the third day, he he was raised from the dead. He came back to life and he is alive forevermore. You know, there's nothing more certain than the resurrection of Jesus. That actually is the most, one of the most attested facts of history. Even secular uh, historians uh, have, have confirmed the resurrection of Jesus as an, uh, an ancient fact of history. I know for myself, knowing Christ personally, the risen Jesus, is so real that he is more real than anybody else because of what he does in my life. And I know many people, many people could also echo that Jesus Christ is alive today and he is alive in people's lives and he's changing hearts. So what I want to do, I want us to watch two videos, short videos, testimonies. And these are testimonies of people whose lives have been changed by this Jesus. The first, I've chosen both these, one because they're so different, but also there's a family theme running through them. There's a, both have to do with children on this dedication Sunday or a Sunday where we dedicated Eva. And the first is called Jennifer Fulweiler, who describes herself as having been a lifelong atheist. And then we're going to watch the story of, or listen to the story of somebody else who is totally different to that. So let's uh, watch that. Perhaps good, thanks. My name is Jennifer Fulweiler. I was a lifelong atheist and I'm now a Christian. I write a blog called Conversion Diary. It's a chronicle of the ups and downs of what it's like to have faith after an entire life of being an atheist. I never believed in God, not even as a child. When my dad would come read books to me at night, I believe I was in fourth or fifth grade, and our nightly reading was Carl Sagan's Cosmos. (laughs) So I was very much raised on a diet of science and reason and evidence-based rational thought. You believe what you can prove. I believe that I have hands because I can see them. I believe in a black hole even though I've never seen one, but you know, science can tell us about the way matter moves around it that we can observe. And so this very rational worldview 
always made sense to me on a fundamental level. Before I got to the point that I could really start researching faith with an open mind, something had to happen. And for me, that occurred after my first child was born. I looked down and thought, what is this baby? And I thought, well, from a pure atheist materialist perspective, he is a collection of randomly evolved chemical reactions. And I realized if that's true, that all the love that I feel for him, that it's all nothing more than chemical reactions in our brains. And I looked down at him and I realized that's not true. It's not the truth. And I didn't know where to go from there, but that's what prompted me to start researching topics of spirituality. I got my books about Buddhism and, you know, and about every religion except for Christianity, basically. I assumed that anything could be true except for Christianity. And my husband, who considered himself a non-practicing Christian, said, you might want to start with the one major world religion whose founder claimed to be God. After all, that's a really easy claim to disprove if it's not true. And I thought, well, that's a fair point. I was such a through and through atheist that I have to admit, I was ignorant of all these great Christian thinkers. What about Thomas Aquinas? <laughs> what about Augustine? What about Descartes? I mean, all of these great thinkers throughout history were not only theists, but Christians. And I was really surprised when I actually found these very intellectually rigorous books where people talked about their faith from a place of reason and not a place of emotion. And when I looked at evidence like that on the whole, I started to think something explosive, something world-changing happened in first century Palestine. You have this guy named Jesus who comes from a lower class region, gains a bunch of lower class followers, and ends up being executed by the Romans. And yet in droves, you see thousands and thousands of Jews giving up these traditions that they had held dear for thousands of years. And the people who joined in on this new religion, there was no benefit for them. It was a persecuted religion. People who joined this religion didn't tend to work out too well. They tended to lose social status and often face death. But I wasn't yet you know, convinced and, and ready to become a Christian. And so I started a blog. I just threw out every hard question I could think of. I just put it all out there on the blog. And as I would watch the atheists and the Christians go back and forth and debate, I realized we atheists, we don't have the lock on reason that I thought we did. But what I saw with the Christians was they had that too. They had all the knowledge of science and material world that, that we atheists did but yet they had the total picture of the human experience of love and triumph and hope. And you know, they could articulate that in a way that the atheists couldn't. It wasn't until after I had made the intellectual decision to become a Christian that I think I finally believed it in my heart. When I set my pride aside and said, okay, I feel like I'm talking to myself, but Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I, I want to know you, even though I don't know how to go about doing that. This peace entered my life, this joy 
the way my whole being was transformed, there was just no question that this is somebody real. I think that not only am I more alive uh, now that I'm a Christian, but I'm so much more intellectually alive. Finally, nothing is off limits. I can ask questions about science, but I can also ask questions about the spiritual world, and I'm free to really seek the truth. So that's uh, one person comes from a very intellectual background and uh, perhaps no felt needs, if you like. Well, you know, some people say, oh, Christianity is a crutch and you lean on it. But actually, that was very different for that woman. But here's a testimony of somebody, perhaps a short, oh, it's a shorter testimony, someone very, very different from a very different background. crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burgle houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head, I ended up um, stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder. Uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system and I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got the prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed him. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC. It's where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact. So they have to have riot shields and riot gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an alpha course. Never heard of an alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because it sent me down. I sat down on a chair and I thought, oh no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm gonna say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying and I said, uh, God, So God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then, as I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed. <clears throat> and I just... Right there. Because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real. Um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember <laughs> running on the wing. People clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. 
and then I, um, I got released. I've been in a prison where I, because you would have thought that the prison where I stabbed the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me, but they were the first. That's how good works. The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got um, four kids and then my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, <clears throat> have Bible studies with their dad. Have a life, a beautiful, um, and my life. This probably is my wife and my kids are the best gift, that, apart from the grace God's given me, is the best gift I've ever, he'll ever give me. Didn't expect to cry like that. Recovered now. So who do you think, who do you believe Jesus is? It really does make a difference. It's crucial. But of course, it's not just enough to know something intellectually. If uh, Jesus is who he is and his claims are true, then we can't just ignore them and just say, well, it doesn't matter, it doesn't affect me, because his claims don't allow that, not if they're true. But the question is, how can we respond? Would you respond this morning? I want to give an opportunity. You've heard about the teachings of Jesus. You've heard what he claims to do. Well, if you don't know him as your saviour and you're not living for him and he's not changed your life, I want to give an opportunity this morning to respond and ask Christ to come into your life. As, uh, like the prayers of Jennifer and uh, the other guy, um, they were saying, I, I don't even know if you're there, but if you are... I need you. I, I need you to show yourself. I need Jesus to come into my life and change me. And I'm going to give an opportunity for that. And I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. A very simple prayer. And if you want to echo that prayer to God this morning, do it quietly to yourself. I'll pray it out aloud. It's not a magic prayer. It doesn't make you a Christian. But it's a way of you saying, I'm serious with God. And I want to explore. I want to find this same change of life I want to be forgiven I want to know God personally and if you pray that you God will hear and uh, that will be the start of, of a life where you are able to live for God so would you bow your head and uh, would you uh, let's all be quiet and I'm going to pray a prayer as I say but I'll pray it out loud if you want to respond to what I've said this morning or what you've heard this morning then pray this quietly to yourself and to God as your personal prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I need your forgiveness. I know that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And I invite Jesus to become my saviour. I trust in him. And I turn from my sin and I surrender my life to Jesus 
please come and change my life and help me to live for God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, or you'd like to know more about what I've been talking about, please have a word with me. You can either say, I prayed that prayer, or can I, I've got a booklet I'd like to give you. Um, it's called Two Ways to Live, and uh, it will help you understand more of what it means to really let Jesus become your saviour, and how you can live for him, uh, just as uh, those two people are. So if the band would like to come, um, we're going to sing a song that reminds us that Jesus is the hope. He is the hope of the nations. Jesus, hope of the nations.